This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. Uh, it's good to be up here and speaking to you the Word of God. Uh, how many people love the Word of God? I tell you, you've got to love the Word of God. Uh, you've got to desire uh, to know more and read and dig into Scripture. Um, I did find my time researching about this preach. Uh, we are continuing with a series, Creed, as Alan has shared, and I'm talking about the resurrection. Now, I found while I was reading that there's a lot of stuff that got, ex- got me excited, uh, and there's, to be honest, a ton of stuff about the resurrection of Christ that you can read for yourself, and I, I want to just encourage you to read through because we cannot exhaust everything from the pulpit, but read about it. Read Matthew 28, read uh, Luke 24, read you know, all these scriptures, read the accounts from Acts, and just understand what was going on for yourself even after, after this preach. I hope that uh, that's a good uh, thing for you. Um, to get into and to, to read. I wanted to ask, we have among us a, a, a very well-qualified lawyer, uh, a friend of mine, uh, and that's Brian. I wanted to ask him if he could just share briefly uh, what it means to have proof beyond reasonable doubt. Here you go. What does it mean from a, a court of law uh, perspective? I don't know if I have the mic working here. Hello? I'd like to put him on the spot. Yes, this is not fair. (laughs) Right. Um, Proof beyond reasonable doubt is the standard of proof that is required in all the Anglo-Saxon legal systems in an adversarial criminal case. Uh, It just basically means that um, (laughs) if you are prosecuting a case, um, you have to prove your case such that a reasonable person will believe it. Right. It's a reasonable person uh, listens to the evidence, they will believe your account of events. That's, that's basically what proof beyond a reasonable doubt is. It can be, there, there are other uh, measures of proof uh, for, for delict, for example, uh, a balance of probability, but for criminal cases, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Wow. Yes. I hope you understand that because that's going to that's gonna be helpful uh, for you. I knew he was going to get into Latin and, you know, but beyond reasonable doubt, you know, so a person with reason, a reasonable person should be able to say, aha, this makes sense, right? Aha, this makes sense. This is true, you know, or this is correct. So that's kind of how it works. And you will see why I'm asking this question as we go. Allow me to pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you would breathe on it today as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew 28 and read from verses 11. If you are there, say I. Here we go. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, And devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came 
during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story had been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is a story that comes into play after the resurrection of Christ. So Jesus is resurrected, and people who are in the area of law get confused, and they devise a plan so that they can destroy the truth of the Word of God. They actually saw what happened. They knew that it happened beyond reasonable doubt. Now you understand where we're going with this. So they knew it, right? They were not confused. They were not wondering whether it had actually happened. It did. And they knew. But I was reading this, and I thought to myself, well, this is quite interesting. That the people who were left guarding the tomb of Jesus actually gave a report to the governor saying, you know what, while we were sleeping, now I don't know what this guarding process looked like, but the moment I hear a guard in my country, I think of safeguard. And if I hired them to look after my property, and then something goes missing on their watch, and I ask them in the morning, and then they say, oh, you know what, your car went, it disappeared. Actually, some men came and took it, and they went away with it. And uh, we were sleeping. I would be like, okay, so that's what you were meant to do, to watch over this property, but you were found sleeping. Do you see how this is ridiculous? And then he goes on to say, well, we will tell the governor. Now, take note. It became such an important issue that even to the greater parts of governance, it needed to have credibility. It was such a story of serious contention that it wouldn't just end around the tomb and the few people that saw him when he rose in the morning. It was a big deal. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus was a big deal. Today, he's the only Lord that has ever died and risen, and is still alive today. Come on. Muhammad came, he died, gone, buried, gone for good. A lot of people who profess to be gods, to be leaders, to be extraordinary, came, died, and that was it. But this story was so powerful that the truth had to be stopped from the moment it happened. This is why they cooked up this concoction, this story to say, just say that while you were sleeping, the disciples came, they took him, and they stole him. Are you following? Now, I want us to understand as we continue with our story that it is important to establish from the get-go beyond Reasonable, come on, beyond reasonable, 
that Jesus' resurrection was real. We have to prove that. But it's not so much for us to prove it because you know what? Jesus himself found it important for, for, for us to establish this truth. So we're going to look at the length to which Jesus went to make sure that people understood that the resurrection was real. Jesus himself did this. Luke 24. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 10. We're going to get into a lot of scripture. Because if we're going to prove that something is real, something of spiritual significance, something of Jesus, the very best uh, proof I have if I were in the court of law would be to use scripture. Is that correct? So that's where we're going. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they, tr- when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside him. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still here. He was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Hmm. Let's pause. Let's not rush this. Let's pause for a moment. I was thinking to myself, if God had asked me how to write the Bible, and if he had said to me, can you, can you rearrange this story again? I'm just thinking, okay? It's, it's just me going crazy. But follow me. If he had asked me, Taps, what, do you, what would you do? How would you tell the story? I would have made the story of Jesus so authentic, beginning with the guys that crucified him. I would write a story so much that Jesus would rise from the dead, and the very first people he went to see are the guys that nailed him to the cross. Do you like how how I think? Because I think that would be easy. Right? He would wake up, get to the guys that killed him and say, Hey, so you remember, you nailed me to the cross. It is I, Jesus, the very guy you, ra- you nailed to the cross. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You nailed me. And here I am, alive and well. Boom. That's how I would have told God to do it. It would have been easier. Because who else needed to know that he had risen from the dead? More than the guys that actually nailed him, spat at him, called him all sorts of things. And said, well, if you're the Christ, whatever it is, save yourself. And they laughed. I would have risen, gone to them. If I was Jesus, I would go first to them. 
But no, 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 no. God didn't decide to do it that way. He actually decided, and I was thinking about this. He decided to go to those that believed in him. Why? I think. This is me. This is what I think. I think because those that believed in him already would have the faith build up so much that after his ascension, they would preach the good news so much that they would be ready to even die because they would have seen beyond reasonable doubt that the truth of the scriptures that were spoken, that Jesus would rise again, came to life when they saw him in flesh, when he spoke to him to them because they believed. So it didn't really matter who else got the picture if they didn't believe. It mattered to those that believed in him that he would come to them first and only them and make a big deal of his resurrection. I don't think you're getting me. Now, I'm married. Before I got married, I needed my wife to understand that it is only her that I really need. Now, yes, she comes from a, from a family. She has a father. She has all these other friends. It didn't matter to me to convince the friends that I really loved her. I had to go to her one-on-one, -on -one, men up and say, you, woman, understand, this man loves you. No time wasted going to friends and trying to please them. Can you make it happen? Help me out? No. I had to go to the one that needed to understand beyond reasonable doubt that I had made up my mind and I had chosen her. This is how I think the story panned out as God was penning this thing out for his people. Believers needed to be convinced. Jesus himself found it important to come to, be, to his disciples and to tell them, here I am. Yeah? Yeah? Because he had told them before in John 2, 19. He had said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up again. And they're like, this temple took 46 years to build, the Jews replied. And you're going to raise it up in three days? Listen, verse 21. But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Listen, after he was raised, the women who went remembered that he was raised. After he was raised, the disciples that he spoke to remembered. That's what the Bible said. So Jesus was telling the story beforehand that when he had risen, he would go back to the people that knew and understood that when it happened that he had risen, they would remember. Why is it important that they would remember? So that their faith would be built up. 
So, that's the first point there. The fulfillment of Scripture and His words. So, He needed to confirm that the things that were spoken of Him in the Scripture were true and that they had happened. So, He put His best foot forward to try and help people understand that. That's why the angels came to the tomb and said, Why are you looking for Him among the dead? He is reason. That's what Scripture had said. He would die. He would be buried. But He would rise. So beyond doubt, everybody knew. Now, just as if it was not enough, Jesus goes on, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, it says, After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the time. Again, Brothers and sisters, the believers, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Oh. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about this process. He, he wanted you and me to read this account and have no doubt that he actually rose from the dead. He appeared to more than 500 people at the time so that these believers would hear from him directly, see him, understand what he's saying, get the picture and be fully convinced that their Lord and Savior had resurrected from the dead. Acts 1, 1 to 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, take note verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them a command. I'm not going to get into that. I'll just end there. But he gave them convincing proof. This is what the Bible says. Many convincing proofs beyond reasonable doubt. Just as if it was not enough, he carries on. Jesus, I think he was a bit of a funny character as well. He gets up from the dead and is asking for fish. You know, sees his brothers, is there any food here? Give me something to eat, you know. <laughs> Luke 24, 36, 42. While they were describing these events, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. But they were startled and frightened thinking they had seen a spirit. Why are you troubled? Jesus asked. And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet while they were still in disbelief because of their joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of fish and he took it and ate it in front of them. Brian, I hope I'm doing well as a lawyer here. I'm trying to convince people. Are you feeling convinced yet? Do you believe that Jesus died and that he rose? Because he said it himself. He's the one who died. Then he rose. Then he said it himself. I am here. What more? Did they want? What more do we want if the person who went through the process of dying for you and me actually rose and he himself had the guts to stand up to many people and prove that this story was real? If you're feeling a little lost at this stage, Don't worry. The disciples themselves didn't get this resurrection thing at the beginning. You see, even the scripture I just read, just to break the ice, is there any bread here? Because guys are confused or wondering what's happening. There's amazement. There's all these things happening. Let's just calm down. It's happening. Let's calm down. But before then, they were having issues. Mark 9 verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, who I love, whom I love. Listen to him. Verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down to the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I like the Bible. It kind of, kind of helps you out, you know. So if you are doubting, if you don't understand, and it's, you're struggling with this concept of resurrection, it's okay. The people who touched, kissed, walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, doubted. It was a mystery for them. They didn't understand from the beginning. They're like, hmm, all the stuff that Jesus seems to say. Ah, this resurrection thing. What does it mean? <laughs> so they too needed the, the end of the story. They too needed Jesus to come back and convince them that he had reason. So, Without the resurrection, our faith is dead. That's why it's important for us to understand the story of the resurrection. Because without it, our faith is dead. Are you with me? Stay with me. It's going to get exciting. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It says, but 
If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Folks, if you are a Christian, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an important message to believe. Because outside of that, you've got no gospel to preach. You've got no Christianity to talk about. He himself went to lengths to describe and show people that he had risen to prove what the scripture had said that you and I would believe because that's the thing that we need, the faith to believe in the resurrected Christ. Because outside of that, there's no faith to talk about. There's no Christianity to talk about. There's no exciting stuff about Jesus. Everything else that you believe about Jesus becomes ridiculous outside of this truth that he died and he rose from the dead. So it's important there to understand that without his resurrection, our faith is useless. It's also important to note that the resurrection confirms Christ's power. The resurrection confirms Christ's power. Notice I said, it is the foundation of our faith because that's where the whole thing stems from. He had to come as a sinless man, take up your place, became sin so that you and I would have life in its fullness, that we would have salvation. So, the Bible also clarifies this point. Just as Christ was raised, Romans 6, 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for you to live a new life. feel like I'm talking to myself. Are you with me? Let's carry on. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him in his death. That becomes Paul's statement there. Resurrection confirms Christ's power. Again, let's go through a few scriptures. Ephesians 1.19. I ask that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope. I'm starting from verse 18. So they may know the hope from his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. 
He displayed this power in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Romans 1.14, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who through the spirit of, the holiness, of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Folks, the resurrection story is more than just a story. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful declaration of the authority that Jesus Christ has. The Bible says that death is naked before him. He is the only one that was able to be in the grave for three days and rise up again because his power was confirmed at the resurrection. Things changed when Christ rose from the dead. Your life and mine changed because of the resurrection. If he hadn't risen, the power of God would not have been explained to us, would not have been expressed to us the way it is today. The resurrection story is a story that is powerful. There is power not only to rise somebody from the dead, but also to take them from the depth of their sin and to turn them around. Folks, I don't know if your life has always been great, but if you've had a difficult past, if you've had a difficult time before you met Jesus, you would understand the power of resurrection that changes you from one nasty man to a person that is conforming to the power and to the Word of God that changes you now and forevermore. A man who once was a drunk becomes somebody who loves his family more because of the power of Christ. That was confirmed in the resurrection. The one who had no enablement, who was weak, weak in their knees, weak in their lifestyle, encouraged by the power of God. Because he rose, they can stand up today and give a testimony of the goodness and the power of God working in their lives. This is no mere story. Why would Jesus take time to explain it to his disciples? Why would you and I take time to sit and talk and talk about this thing? It's powerful. It's real. Resurrection happened beyond reasonable doubt. If you're asking the question, what does resurrection mean for us today? Let me help you out. There's hope for eternity. We will be raised. That's what the Bible says. There's hope for eternity. We will be raised again. My wife has a friend whose sister died. She lived a life that was difficult, a life of addictions, 
She couldn't keep a job. Never had a family of her own. And she just struggled and struggled and struggled. And one day she gave her life to Christ. But because a lot of her body had faced all these issues from addictions, her body was deteriorating and decaying quicker than she could imagine. At a gravesite, my wife asked God the question, so has the devil won? Has the devil succeeded? Because this woman has died in her faith. And God said to her, no, 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 no. no. If you would know if you had capacity to see where she is right now, you would understand that the devil has not won and will never win. She is mine. Folks, the standard of this world measures success on the things that you can do with your hands the things that you can accomplish and achieve, the car that you drive, the place that you live, all these nice things. That's how we measure the success in life. But if no one, if someone would not achieve any of those things and yet still found Christ, I want you to know that this is the gospel. That even if they never got a degree, they never drove a car for one day, but they found Christ. That's it. That's all they need because they will be resurrected and live a life. And I'll get into it in a little bit, in a little bit now, where they'll live a life that is full of the glory of God afterwards. A life of no pain. Yes, she died, but she will have a glorified body. She would have no pain. There will be no sorrow, the Bible says. Oh, are you with me? 2 Corinthians 4, 13 to 14. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. There's hope for eternity. You'll get resurrected bodies, uninterrupted communion with God, joy and peace, happiness, living, over vic- living in victory over hell and death and pain. That's what you ought to receive because the Bible says so. Not because you earned it, but because it says so. If you believe in him, that's what's there. You will have full-on communion. Folks, take a moment to think about it. Waking up and seeing Jesus whom you profess to know today. Waking up and living in that heaven where the streets are full of gold. 
where there is power oozing out of him. Where the 24 elders live today, that when you say a small little prayer, they bow down and say, Holy, holy is the Lord, O God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Living in an environment of of an atmosphere filled with the presence of God. No more sickness, nothing but the goodness of God. Come on, give God a hand. Resurrection helps us to understand that there's hope for now. (laughs) Don't you like that? I like Paul. And he's one of those people that when I read scripture and hear his story, I'm just kind of consumed with the desire to know God more. This is a guy who had gone through all the possible difficult experiences in life that you can think of. He was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He suffered lack. He was jailed. Not once. And yet he was able to say that all the things that he went through here on earth are light and momentary troubles. You're not getting me. There is a realm that he entered into and understood while he was here on earth that made him believe that there is a greater power and a better life beyond what I'm experiencing now. He wasn't somebody who was giving up on life. He wasn't saying he's going to live a life in dirt and, in, and, 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 and he's not going to, you know, try and be okay. He said he understood lack and he understood riches. He had both. But the moments of pain and agony were more than the riches, perhaps, But when they came and he faced them as if he faced death, he came to an understanding that this was light and momentary because the things that God had promised him were much greater. So he was able to say, shall I die and be with God or shall I stay for your sake? He could discuss that with God. And say, I know that if I die, I'm going to be with Christ and all these things would be great. But I will choose to live so that you may know, perhaps, this understanding I have. And get to understand the realm that I'm talking about. Paul must have seen something extraordinary in the scriptures. Just like the disciples did. They had seen him rising up. That gave them hope when they lived. So much that when they faced their own crucifixion, their own death, they had so much faith that all this is light and momentary. Take me. I will be with Jesus. I saw him. It is true. He was resurrected 
and I too will be resurrected. Take my head, kill me, do whatever you need to do, but I'm not going to stop believing because the truth of the Word of God says that there is a resurrection that's coming. That is my portion in the life to come. A life of power. That should give you hope now. It's not something you wait for. You get hope for now and understand the future. All I'm saying is this. Let your context be narrowed down to the truth of the word of God. So you don't live in fear because you understand there's a victor now. You don't live in worry because you understand of what he can do for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Folks, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has promised for his children. What he has prepared for those he loves. Those who love him. If this wasn't the case. Why would I have told you? That's what Jesus said. If this wasn't true. That my father in heaven would prepare a room for you. That he will make a way for you. If this wasn't true. Why would I even bother? He took time to explain so that you and I can get it. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what good and pleasing and perfect will of God is. The story of the resurrection of God has to challenge you to change the way you think so that your lenses become new. You see life from a different perspective. Where you see death and gloom, Jesus has hope for you. Where things seem difficult forever, God, who was raised from the dead, is the evidence that you will find the same redemption in your life now. And if you don't get it now, there is an afterlife that will make it possible for you to see that he has won. He is victorious over all forms of pain and trouble and earthly things. So when your mind is turned around, you look at these things in all your suffering and all your pain. Not that it changes immediately, but your understanding changes. That you will say, these, all these things that I'm going through, compared to the riches and glory, these are light and momentary troubles. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, Paul gives us a definition of the gospel in these two verses. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and he was buried, thereby confirming that he was undeniably dead. He was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. 
Our salvation, therefore, depends on both these facts. You read the story, you'll understand that our salvation depends on both these facts. I want you to know that Jesus, in his ranking of supporting you and picking you up, the greatest thing that mattered to him was not a struggle about how he can give you bread or put a car before you, because that he can speak and do. He can change your life and speak a word and you'd have healing right now. He could do so many things. All he needed to do, to do was to speak. But the one thing he would not leave to chance and give to somebody else was the fact that he chose to die for you and me. This is said, it's not a matter of talk, but I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to live it out. I will die that people would have life. People would have salvation because all these things I can speak and do and give them. But I have to die that they may find salvation through this death and resurrection. That's the only thing he wouldn't give to somebody else to do because there is power. In the resurrection. Because it's the only thing that could change your life forever. And the man had to die. And he just didn't have to speak words. May God bless you. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www dot kingdompeoplechurch dot org